Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Central Services. We do the work, you do the pleasure. Pleasure. Let's sing the Brazil theme song. Maybe not. Satisfy. You can sing, you can sing. No, I'm you have to hum it with me. Bra, bra, bra. This is the Fat Boy Slim remix of the Brazil theme song. Wiki wiki wub wub. Wub. Jesse, get in here. Wub wub wub. Oh man, I'm not good at that at all. I thought I thought that went well. <laughs> so uh, so we're going to talk about Brazil. That's right. Join me, Jesse Mercury, your host, and my guest, Annika Sila, as we discuss the classic 1985 Terry Gilliam dystopian future movie, Brazil. Has anybody seen Lowry? Has anybody seen Sam Lowry? First of all, Annika Sila, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jesse. I'm excited to be back here. Yeah, the last, last episode you were in was wildly popular. Was it, it? Yeah, it did really, really well. And actually... But how many of them thought I was pretty? I'm just... That's really... Like all of them. <laughs> uh, they all told me specifically. It's how friends back home be like, yeah, I saw you were on a podcast. You do stand-up? And I'm like, that's how you found it? <laughs> Not from all the stand-up photos? Like, did you think I was doing slam poetry? Go fuck yourselves. Please listen to it. Wait, okay, let's try again. Let's see if we can get back into Brazil, because we're going to we're gonna talk about Brazil. Okay, guys. So I mean, the reason why wait, we got, came together we is We have to because... sing the song again if we're going to do this. Are you going to... Brazil. Oh, let's... You can sing. Look at that. Shubadabop, Brazil. I can scat. Yeah. So the last time you were on the show... Uh, which was a wildly popular episode, which I'm going to keep saying because it makes me feel good. <laughs> but did they think I was pretty? We can just keep doing this yeah. for the next two hours. <laughs> uh, let's start over. Where hearts are entertained in June. So last time you were on the podcast, you asked if I'd seen Brazil. I said no. And then you said, Gasp. You have to watch Brazil. You have to. And then I asked you to come back and do a podcast about Brazil when I'd watched it. And boom, that's what's happening. Exactly. So yeah. Jesse just had his first Brazil experience. For those of you who haven't seen this movie, this is probably going to be a really boring podcast. <laughs> um, we are not going to read it out loud like we did with uh, Harlan, El- not Harlan Ellison. That was Harlan, Harlan Ellison. Har- yeah. I was sick of someone else. Uh, like the Harlan Ellison short story. Yeah. We're not going to. We just get the transcript of Brazil and just read it. Let's do it. Six hours later. Let's do it. This will be a six-part episode. <laughs> oh, way too much work. Um, yeah. Let's not do it. So Brazil, <laughs> Brazil is a 1985 film by mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam, uh, who was involved in Monty Python. So a lot of the, something you'll kind of notice between the two is the weird, the really weird animation of Monty Python definitely kind of comes through again. You can tell that that was a lot of Terry Gilliam's work because Brazil was, um, 
gonna pull from my film studies background here. It was a fucked up movie. Like that's <laughs> that's interesting term for a fucked up movie. It was very very weird dream sequences. So basically, Brazil is a one of those weird future past dystopias. Yeah, retro future. Yeah, it's yeah, like pe- that's the term. People stopped caring if technology was advancing as their society kind of ground itself into the dirt. Yeah. So, uh, and, and when there's like a totalitarian government telling you what to do with everything in your life, innovation becomes obsolete. So you have all these like retro things. I mean, answering the phone, you have to plug in uh, an actual plug to get yeah. that that one channel. So so nothing works very well, but it works. It's interesting, like, because like the, the overarching theme of it is just that it's, it's Terry Gilliam just kind of like commenting on just the bullshit of bureaucracy and the bullshit of of consumerism he disdains convenience because there's so huh. many like a uh, visual gags in that so we're gonna get really spoiler heavy if you haven't seen brazil stop now go watch brazil pick back up right here but seriously go watch brazil because it's fucking brilliant it's it was so fucking good. So good i got really intense just now i'm sorry i didn't mean to yell <laughs> if you haven't seen brazil do yourself a favor and go watch this film um and then come back and listen to this podcast so i kind of want to just like jump around between my notes yeah is that do okay it. if we Let's do, do that it. uh i really liked um so he has some really good there's some really good dialogue in there that's really good commentary on if i say really good one more time i'm gonna be very upset i just said that like eight times in a row <laughs> But uh, there's a conversation between Sam and Jack. Do you remember Jack? Jack yeah, Jack the, is the, the interrogator. Yeah. Sam being the main character. Sam Sam Lowry is the main character. Has anyone seen Sam Lowry? <laughs> <laughs> and Sam uh, sees Jack early on in the film. It's when you first meet him. Jack was a Monty Python actor, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Sam's like, oh, say hello to the twins. And Jack responds. He's like, oh, triplets. And Sam yeah. goes, really? Huh, my, how time flies. And I love that because that doesn't make it, it's funny, first of all, because, yeah. you know, twins and triplets, that's not going to change with time. But I like it because it, it, to me, because Gilliam never does anything on accident. Like, everything is very purposeful in his films. And to me, I really like that because it was such a good uh, example of, he just, he hates small talk. He's someone that disdains small talk. So this whole, like, <laughs> that's just the nice, mindless, like, oh, what's that? Okay, cool. Neither of us care about this conversation. I thought that was a good example of that. Yeah, they live in this dystopian future where no one really cares about anything. I mean, they'll be in a restaurant, uh, a terrorist bombing will happen because there's this nebulous terrorist threat throughout the whole movie, which they never explain, which is basically the idea that there is someone who thinks that this government is fucked up and wants to bring it down, but you don't know who it is. And maybe there are no terrorists. Maybe it's just the government itself who's bombing itself just to keep people afraid so that they'll keep in line. I actually really like that they never went into who the terror- terrorists were. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that that really wasn't a main point in it at all. Like, yeah, it would have totally. been... Uh, granted, it's a red herring for maybe Jill is a terrorist, the, the yeah, female lead. Yeah, or like... Uh, we're just going to assume you've seen this movie and we don't have to explain who people are as we continue we d- this podcast. Yeah, are you guys yeah. cool with that? Just don't respond if you are and don't respond if you aren't because you're going to listen to this in the future. Let's Let's wait and see. They didn't respond. They're good with okay, that. Okay, let's no, go. All right. We're just assuming you've seen this. Um, yeah. I like that they don't explain the terrorists because that yeah. would have been, I'm, I was, even though it was 1985 and I made the same mistake with I have no mouth, but I must scream where I need to remember that at the time it wouldn't have been contrived. But if it would have been like, if you would have been in Helpman's office and seen like, oh my God, it's the government planting these, t-, I would have been like, oh my yeah, God. It there was so many points in this movie where they could have ruined it. 
yes. easily, and they never did. And it blew me away. You were about to say the ending, right? Are you going to talk about no, the no, American no, no, no. ending? What I'm okay. going to talk about is the Jill and Sam love story. I okay. hated it. It was it yeah. felt super contrived to me. Like it felt super. I have a theory about that. I, I my theory because again, Terry Gilliam is a very aware director. He doesn't do anything on on accident, and it I, it felt shoehorned. I think he did that on purpose. Just. Maybe he was kind of poking fun at the whole like boy meets girl, boy tells girl he loves her, girl loves him back because that's how Hollywood thinks the world works. That was kind of my theory because I hated their love story. Their love story seems completely out of place. And in this movie, which is so specific and particular where everything is put in place, I think that that is proof that it's not what we think it is. There's a theory that I have, and then there's a theory that I read. A theory that I read is that Jill doesn't exist, that Jill is part of Sam's psyche, uh, because Sam is dreaming Jill before he meets her when he's flying around as this weird angelic knight. Yeah. Um, so he's dreaming her face, and then he sees her in real life, and then when he first meets her, he says, I've been dreaming you. I mean, I love you, <laughs> which is my favorite line of the whole movie. Uh, so good. So... And in that scene, she's acting like she's she acts very real in that scene, right? Yeah. She just like doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And then when their love story starts, she becomes just so passive and so against the character that you've seen with her. So I read this theory that that she doesn't actually exist, that she is like the feminine half of Sam's psyche. Interesting. Um, and also the fact that in the last quarter of the movie, nothing is real. Like once he starts being tortured. Everything is in his mind. And I'm wondering how much was in his mind before that. Because that's, Yeah, the that's really interesting because it it there was at one point where because for the longest time he was dreaming. He would he would clearly wake up at some point. Right. And then I think it was in the department store. Department bombing. store. Yeah, the department yep. store bombing suddenly it's no longer he can no longer distinguish right. dream from reality. That's the moment. So my theory is not that Jill doesn't exist. I think Jill does exist. But I think she died in that bombing. And I think that's the moment where his brain starts to become unhinged because that's when that giant samurai warrior shows up in his real life. Yeah. And that's when their love story starts is after that. If I'm remembering correctly, that would make sense because she, before then she would have had to exist. Cause she like drove him away from the ministry of information, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. After that. And she was there no... without him in the first scene. Yeah. Which I love so much. Yeah. Which we'll come back to. I, that was a, yeah. But then after that, I don't think she has to exist. No, anymore. Cause she doesn't, you know, she picks him up from the ministry. Uh, which reminds me, we should really talk about how Fritz Long influenced Terry Gilliam. At some point, we need to yeah, there's touch so, on that. Yeah, there's so much we have to talk about. Yeah, this between is, the, the leap motif. Hunker down, because there's a lot to talk about yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's get that out of the way right now. Uh, Fritz Long. Do people know who Fritz Long is? I, I think a lot of people won't. He directed Metropolis, which I've never seen. Yeah, he, he was a, a early German expressionist director. Uh, he was very famous for Metropolis which was like the very first, it really was the very first sci-fi film. And it was actually the most exp most expensive film ever made at the time of its production. But the film of his that I love is one called M. Hmm. And M is about a child molester, like all the best movies <laughs> are. Uh, and, and there's great movies are, <laughs> are about child molesters? Uh, Jawbreaker. I haven't seen it. It's very good. It's with uh, the chick from Juno. Ellen Page. Uh, she and I used to date. No, you didn't. No, we didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> She's gay. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, 
It was a red herring also. Uh, <laughs> just to see if I'm really listening. Just pay attention to me, damn it. I, I didn't realize we were going to be discussing you for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> we are. So <laughs> Back to Fritz Lang. Yeah. Um, so his two two most famous films really, really heavily inf- influenced Brazil. There's uh, Metropolis, which the really, really... I'm so ineloquent tonight. It definitely influenced the external shots of the Ministry of yeah. Information. It's just this huge, impending, very, very fake looking in the same way that Brazil influenced Tim Burton's Batman. It's that very like almost cardboard-esque, it looks yeah. like a theater set. Which I love so, so, yes. so, so much. Side note, if you like that, you should watch a movie called Bunraku. It is absolutely hands cool. down my favorite movie, and I think you'll really like it. Yeah, I'll check it out. That being said. Uh, Considering that you recommended this movie to me, I now believe you when you <laughs> tell me to watch things. Uh, yeah, that, that cardboard set feel is so tactile and so cool. And then there's that scene where Tuttle jumps off of Lowry's balcony and zip lines down into the abyss, uh, which looks so real. But it's because they've set up this cardboard reality yeah. where you just kind of buy things because it's consistent uh the special effects in this movie were incredible like all the miniatures the stuff of lowry flying around in his dreams oh, i could not tell how that was done it was it very well me. done yeah. yeah considering how long ago it was made yeah very very well done the creatures were terrifying yeah like the baby, the baby faces oh uh, that was that was so that was so gilliam i i also suggest watching his movie tideland i don't know or tidelands i don't know if you've I ever seen, seen it Another very weird, it's very, very Gilliam again, where it's what could have been a completely normal movie that for no reason, and it's never explained, there's just weird sequences. Huh. It's a very, very odd movie. It's very good, though. You should check it out. Um, so, yeah, there's there's the visual stuff going on with uh, Fritz Long's Metropolis, and then Fritz Long's M was one of the very first films to utilize the leitmotif. Did I say that right? We talked about this. Light yeah. motif. Light motif. Light motif. So in M, the the child molester, the titular M, uh, would whistle a song, and that's kind of how you knew he was near. It was a light motif. That's that's how yeah. how light motifs do. Uh, yeah, a light motif for anyone who isn't familiar is a musical phrase that is repeated throughout a a play or a movie or an opera that is. In, in a lot of situations to represent a character, like for example, Star Wars is is something that everyone can recognize where, you know, dun, 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 dun. That's the force. That's the force's leitmotif. Mm-hmm. Um, dun, 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 ba dun, dun. That's Darth Vader. All these different characters have uh, different ones. Like, da, 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 dun, da, dun, da, da, dun. I could go on. Uh, you know these way better than I do. Yeah. I, well, when I was a kid, I only listened to Squirrel Nut Zippers and Star Wars soundtracks. I fucking love Squirrel Nut Zippers. Really? Yeah. Are you kidding? No. Not oh, even they're joking. like perennial favorites is in my top three albums of all time. Oh my God. That was like the first music that me and my parents actually both liked. Like, do you remember wow. there was that one band that you and your parents were like, yeah, we'll listen to this in the car? Yeah. I think that's what it was for me too was Squirrel, Squirrel Nut Zippers. zippers. <laughs> uh, back to Brazil. <laughs> okay. So th- that song is. The reason the movie's called Brazil is because of this light motif. Yeah. Uh, which is not a song that was written for the movie. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Which I think is such an imp- impressive and uh, such a such a cool plot device. Because you know the song going into the movie. So when everyone's humming it the whole time, it just gets into your subconscious in a way that it wouldn't if you'd never heard it before. Well, what I like is I like... So the song 
The song isn't necessarily representational of a person in this case. It's more of a leitmotif for a feeling. Yeah. And the only people in it, if I recall correctly, who hum it are Sam Lowry and Tuttle. The interesting, the air conditioner, the gorilla, the duct fixer, the duct. Ducts are a very, very interesting uh, thing yeah. in the film too, because they're everywhere and they're very representational of like how the government is just involved in everything. And the fact that the the ducts are technically owned by a privatized company, but it's so inextricably linked between what is the word I'm looking for? A business and government. What's the term? Cor- corporation. Corporation. There we go. I'm yeah. very. I'm very. I'm not doing well with words today. But like the fact that this corporation that's central central services central services is just so it's just part of the government, basically, even though technically it's not. And that these ducks are everywhere. And like, I think a good like visual representation of that is when Kurtzman, uh, Sam Lowry's boss, gets the check back for Buttle's death. Uh And he's like, he's like, hold on. And he like listens to at the duct and he's like, listens to the duct to see. You don't know what he's listening for, but it's a very good like visual representation of like, oh, this is the government in everyone's business. Yeah. The government going through a corporation. They're all just everywhere. They're everywhere inside of everything. They also represent the fact that nothing really works in this world where uh, instead of trying to stop and fix things, they just add more ductwork. Yep. And everything runs to the ductwork, you know, uh, air, air conditioning systems, paperwork. Sewage. Sewage. Tuttle sewage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything runs to the ducts. I, I love the moment when he was up in the Ministry of Information and the duct op- like blew open and all this paperwork came out. Yeah. Just this idea that there's just this funnel of paperwork going through these ducks all the time. I found uh, Tuttle's death by paperwork was, it felt a little heavy handed, like, cause he, the reason why he was a gorilla. Well, he was hallucinating at that point. That wasn't real. I know, but it was still like, he could have, I mean, like it was heavy handed and like a, I loved it. I thought it was magical. It was like Obi-Wan joining the force. Uh, Tuttle. I thought that Tuttle escaped. I didn't think that he died. I thought that he had like the paperwork was trying to take him down. And then he used like, the magic of the force to escape. I'm an optimist. I mean, again, again, to be fair, this is all inside the mind of like a severely deranged, tortured person. Yeah. Um, if you, but seen aren't it. we all? I but, mean, <laughs> is, it, is that not why we relate to this movie? That's one thing I love about this movie is I like if he's happy in the end. What's wrong with that ending? Like, it's a bleak ending. It's not Brave New World. Like, he doesn't kill himself, which thank God because I fucking hated that part of Brave New World. But, like, he retreated into his own mind, and I don't... It, the, the end doesn't make me as sad as I feel like it should. Oh, the end was wonderful. And you had warned me to watch the original, and because... Did I tell you why? Did, I, did you know what was coming? You told me that there was a horribly saccharine ending on the American version. Yeah. That's why this came up in the first podcast, is because we were talking about uh, oh, yeah. American audiences not Americans being able to being pussies. deal with real stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the version I downloaded, I wasn't sure what the ending was going to be because I didn't remember to check until we started watching. Mm-hmm. And then they get to this point where there is the happy ending where they're in the house and uh, Jill and and Sam are together and you think everything's going to be okay. And then they pull back and and I panicked for a moment. I'm like, oh my God, this, this must be the dumb saccharine ending. And then they pull back and he has been tortured to the point where he doesn't exist anymore. Just the two faces that come in yeah. and just how casual they are. There's like, well, Looks like we lost him. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. I, he's happy. He's sitting there. He's, he's happy. coming Brazilian. It's a perfect a ending. And I knew without checking that that was the perfect ending. I knew that I downloaded the right one. Yeah. And like, I checked later and I had. But yeah. 
I mean, I, I I knew that it was the right ending, but I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything with like a director's cut or something like that. Because there is a, I got uh, Douglas Gale gave me the Criterion Correct Collection, uh-huh. uh, and there's like three different ones. There's like the crazy saccharin one that's like like 90 minutes long versus like 140 and it yeah. cuts out not only does it cut out the real ending it cuts out a bunch of like the heavier shit that happens in between wow um and i did not watch that one i watched the full yeah really like hun- like two one. well 244 220 minute that's not right 140 Two, yes, that's, that's the one. That's two hours. That's and... two hours and 22 minutes. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> what am I saying? I don't know hours. Math. <laughs> um, yeah, two hours, 22 minutes. That's that's the one that I saw. Something that really struck me when I watched this, and I am not as well-versed in Terry Gilliam stuff, which I now will become because this movie blew me so far out of my own butthole. Seriously? I don't know how to say it. Oh, speaking of buttholes, the scene where the there's a pug dog with a tape over his <laughs> tape <asshole>. butthole. <laughs> I love that. And that's so indicative. They're so desensitized to violence. Like the explosions, yeah. multiple explosions, they don't care. Oh yeah, that's what I was going to say earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're but completely then, like, desensitized. The, even there's, there's smaller things, like when he goes to visit uh, Buttle's widow... And those kids are like playing outside and they're playing at interrogation. Yeah. Where they're like patting <laughs> each other down. And he comes out and his car's on fire and the kids are like, like he treats it like a harmless prank. Because while he right. was in there, the kids lit his car on fire and he's just like, darn it. It's an interesting logic that leads a man to that decision to decide that like kids lighting his car on fire is okay. And the movie presents it so well. That's one of the reasons I love it so much is that. The whole idea that Sam, your main character, can act in such a strange, demasculating way the whole time it makes perfect sense because he lives in this environment where questioning your reality will severely impact your own enjoyment of your own life. Where if you want to have a, a happy – well, not happy because no one can be happy in this world. If you want to be productive and do well in this society, you can't question the government. Even pre- productivity is really frowned upon. I mean, Sam yeah. was productive and his boss, Hen, uh, Kurtzman or whatever, was not he, – he didn't want him to leave. Yeah. Like, it's, not, it's not a society about being productive at all. I mean, yeah. uh, Tuttle was productive and that's why he had a warrant out for his – right. Arrest because he's he, too productive. He was too productive. Yeah, his crime was being productive. Yeah, which was brilliant. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, so like an outlaw in this society is someone who will just get things done instead of waiting to do all the paperwork. Yeah, altruism then, is a four letter word. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> hey, I'm just gonna help you, and they're like, you can't just help. You can't just help people. I love that so much. Yeah. And the the world was so consistent. So then when Lowry's car is set on fire, the idea of doing something about it is foreign to him. Yeah. Like, why would he do something about it? Because he doesn't do anything about anything. Exactly. You and, don't You don't make a stir. If Jill yeah. made a stir. She had no criminal record. But then the fact that she's like, someone made a mistake and arrested my downstairs neighbor, got yeah. her killed. Got her killed, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the uh, one thing I like about the whole desensitized violence was the secretary in the interrogation room. <laughs> yeah. And how she's just typing out, like, screams. And when, when he's like, oh, I need to speak to the interrogator, and she, like, takes her headphones off, and you just hear, like screaming dads and she's just like oh yeah okay sweetie yeah you'll be done in a sec the best part was that that was foreshadowing which of course you don't realize at the time but when you find out later that that is where sam ends up is in that interrogation room that was such a powerful moment i really liked the line that the right when he went into the confession chamber the line that the cop used of confess quickly if you hold out too long you could jeopardize your credit rating yeah <laughs> i love that because they got charged for their own interrogation times which i thought that was so good yeah 
the the whole movie just has a point of view. It has a like the kind of thing that can only really come from one person who has just a really fucked up quirky idea and then sees it through to completion. Yeah, which is I mean, which is Terry Gilliam from. Oh, I've for seen, sure. of course, I've seen uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I've seen uh, like three or four of the Monty Python movies, but Holy Grail being my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen Fear and Loathing, which made me feel like I was on drugs, which was so cool. I didn't realize he was involved in that. Oh, yeah, he directed that. Oh, that explains so much. Yeah. That explains. I I feel very dumb because I love that film. Uh, I love the book, and I really like Terry Gilliam. And I just never put that. I probably I think it's one of those things I knew at some point and just forgot. But yeah, but oh, it's was... so it's so cool to me that he was actually in Monty Python because that's something I wasn't sure about. I'm I watched it and I thought to myself he must have been the director of Monty Python, but he was actually a member. He was a member. Yeah, yeah he was the darkest member. For yeah, sure. like when they're when they're running around and galloping he's the one with the coconuts who's mm-hmm. galloping yep, the coconuts yep, yep, yep. Yeah. i know right the same guy who makes these weird i don't know weird fucked up things he's the, he's the horse yeah um oh but the the foreshadowing that i really liked was there's a lot of those posters in the background that oh, were kind of they were those. like the keep calm carry on big brother sort of things yeah and the most telling one that you don't really realize with your first like watch through is when sam was in jack's office and sam is being like Hey, can you please give me Jill's file? Can you please tell me this? It there's a there's a scene or there's there's one shot right when Jack relents and is like, "Fine, yeah, you can have it, but be careful. You know, I'm doing this for you as a friend." There's a shot of Sam and on the wall behind him is a poster that says, "Who can you trust?" And that's very very foreshadowing because Jack is functioning as Sam's friend at that point, and then not only minutes later does he have that line about like, "We've always been close." When this blows over, don't ever speak to me again. He later tortures him into insanity. So it's really, really, it's a very good foreshadowing of like, oh, yeah, look at that. You can't trust anyone. Yeah. Because he really couldn't. Uh, I love, let's talk about his dreams. Because this was maybe my favorite part of the movie was his dreams. I liked his suit. His like wings. Oh, my God. Probably my favorite part of the movie. I loved it. So in his dreams, he's just this idealized version of himself who's broken free of this totalitarian society and he's literally flying free and with like six metal wings yeah so dope oh my god it's that the first thing i thought was halloween costume but i right? just don't have the funding to pull that not off. in not in this few of weeks no oh my god it's like october 4th yeah right? not gonna make it i was gonna go with slutty no face from spirited away i haven't seen that oh my god People who have seen that, which is basically everyone in this whole world except Me. Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> Slutty, no face. What's up? Gonna be dope. Carry on. So in the for a while I wasn't quite sure what his dreams were representing. But over time I became convinced that his dreams were representing the version of himself that he wanted to be in his real life. Yeah. Uh and then the latter half of the movie is him trying to live up to his own standard of himself. Uh Half of which is done through delusion. At least yeah. half of which is done through delusion. Oh, for sure. You have to, because I like the fact that never once was his dream attainable. Like, that's, I think that's one reason why Gilliam made him so outlandish, is because it'd be one thing if he dreamed about sticking up to the man and then did it. But the whole point is that Sam Lowry was fucked from the beginning. Yeah. He was fucked. He wasn't going to win this. So having these dreams that are just insane... <laughs> and just like you're never gonna fly around on right. metal wings, I really liked that because he tried to live up to a standard that we already were like, 
you can't you can't make that dream a reality, buddy. I also like the idea that in this society where everyone is living a stunted life emotionally and you know creatively, that his dreams would be so outlandish. It made perfect sense to me, uh, and I know that Fahrenheit four fifty one influenced this movie. Have you read that? Uh, back when everyone did, and I haven't yeah. read it since then. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of uh, Slaughterhouse Five. The idea that you can't deal with your physical reality, so you go to someplace in your head that you think is real to make your reality different. And in Slaughterhouse Five, he's you know the main character is he's unstuck in time. Is like being abducted by aliens and going to other, this other planet. I think I haven't read it in a really long time, but I did not. I did not take Slaughterhouse Five as that. I took I. Maybe it's because Vonnegut does occasionally, well, fairly often have this this element of the fantastic just kind of like in his everyday in, life. Yeah. Woven in. I kind of assumed I took that as truth. I took the story of the Tralfamagorians. That's a very hard word to say. Yeah. Uh, as truth. I did not because he was at the bombing of Dresden. He's witnessing this huge moment in human devastation. I, I took it as this is this main character pulling his own brain out of reality so that he his mind can stay intact in some way. Let's go back to Brazil. Can we talk about the samurai? Why why a samurai? Yeah, that was something that I was Sam probably was not. wondering about. The samurai seemed surprising like a surprising out of place choice to me. In Congress. Yeah. I yeah, I don't I don't understand like the fact that like when the samurai died and he realized it was him, I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Like it's the two parts of his psyche kind of battling against each other. Yeah. Uh, but wh- the fact that it had to be there's not there's a tech there's a name for those. It's not just samurai, but that's sort of like bushido evil. warrior. Is that it? I don't know. <laughs> you said that with so much confidence, mm, Annika. It's a bushido warrior, probably. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is me in a nutshell. Is that what it is? Yes. Are you sure? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My I get in trouble for doing that. All. I, I do the thing where it's like, it sounds right. And I'm smart enough that I'm usually right. I'm going to state it as fact. And close friends get so it's a Sela family thing. Close friends yeah. get so pissed at me because I do that all the time. I'll be like, I'm the opposite. That's true. In a situation, someone will ask me something and I'll say the first thing that comes to mind. And then I won't trust my own memory of it. And then oftentimes it is correct. Okay. And if I had just trusted my memory of it, I would have been fine. That's, I mean, that usually happens. I mean, usually it's the type of thing where if I'm wrong, I can argue why my answer felt right. Like if yeah. I'm like, I think it's this and people are like, it's not. I'll be like, fine. But do you understand why logically my answer's right? <laughs> <laughs> I think if you can argue your point, I'm not, I guess I don't know how facts work is what I'm saying. Yeah. Facts are just opinions, really. Uh, now I'm stuck on the samurai. Why is it a samurai? I don't, I don't know. Uh, Most of the image... You know something I loved about this movie is that it was like a really uh, cerebral movie that was very accessible. Because a lot of movies that are this intense with imagery and with metaphor are, are really hard to follow. And this one, off one viewing, I felt like I got... A, a large majority of what Terry Gilliam was trying to convey or the feeling yeah. he was trying to convey, I felt like I got it. I do feel like it's going to take, you know, 20 more viewings of it to really appreciate the detail. But I felt like I understood the world. I felt like I understood the imagery and I understood the subtext 
Uh, yeah, I think that's partially just because of when it was made, though, too. Because that's why, like, I to me, when I watch it now, there are times when I feel like it's a little bit heavy handed. And I need to remember that in 1985, this was very much like one of the earliest futuristic dystopian kind of films like that. So now I think a lot of movies that try to do the same thing have to be really, really, like, contrived about it and really, like, more complex than they need to be. Because if they simplify too much, simplify too much, people are going to go oh, that's just Brazil, or like, oh, that's just Blade Runner, over and over, like, all of these classic sci-fi, these classic, like, commentaries on, like, the bullshit of bureaucracy, and what's this world, and, and stuff like that, you can't, I mean, I was watching this film, and I was going, oh, this, this, this part here reminds me of Idiocracy, and this part here reminds me of Tim Burton's Batman, visually, whatever. Oh, something I really wanted to say, that I love to death, and to pieces, and so much. Is that the whole, <laughs> you're so excited to read what's on your note. But, no, 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 I'm excited because you love it to death and to pieces yeah. and you'd fuck it covered in blood. And I just, I'm uh, so excited. Is that the whole setup for the whole movie, everything that happens in this movie is because a bug fell into a printer. Right? Yeah. I know. It's because of a super simple, mindless yeah. fuck up of bureaucracy, which is such a good. And no one made the mistake. It was a bug. Like a bug fell into the printer. It changed a B to a T. So Buttle became Tuttle. No, and, but, but, but. Tuttle became Buttle. Right. You got yeah, it. Anyway. You're correct. Arrested. And then they arrested Buttle instead of Tuttle. And then Buttle died. Yeah. As And I love how no one, everyone was like, well, that's because. And here's a receipt for your husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, a, and then his visit to her was so uncomfortable because he's, he's a good guy. Like you like Sam Lowry, but he's still a product of environment. So yeah. like when the, the widow Veronica was like. Like, what did you do with his body? Like, that was her huge point is, what did you do with his body? And Tuttle got, or uh, Lowry got very like, you know, I didn't have to come here. It's pretty weird that I came here. That was such a great moment because it really spoke to the fact that this society does not have any sort of sense of pathos towards each other. Absolutely. So for him to even go meant that he is a great guy. And I love that the world was so well fleshed out that him being a total dick by our standards you still get it that he's being a good guy. And yeah. when he says, like, I didn't have to come here, I mean, that's true. In their world, he d absolutely did not. And the no. fact that he's putting himself in that situation puts him above and beyond everyone else in that world, even though he's still being a complete asshole by our standards. I, I mean, yeah, I get... It was... In his world, I understand why he would react like that, though, because she was emoting so intensely, and that's yeah. not a world of emotion. Although, speaking of emoting, can we take a moment to talk about his wonderful mother and her wonderful friends oh my god they were monsters she had a shoe hat Everything shoe hat was great <laughs> hashtag um, shoe hat hashtag shoe hat. <laughs> i wrote down in my notes a hat shoe and then i crossed it out and then wrote down shoe hat and then crossed it out and then wrote down shoe hat again i was like no shoe hat's right i don't know I shoe don't hat's know. right yeah it's shoe hat um that's <laughs> that's awesome that's another thing where like the whole like heavy reliance on plastic surgery now if this movie was to be made now, I'd be like, oh, my God, we get it. Yeah, too many people get plastic surgery. But for the time in 1985, that was pretty progressive. Like, there wasn't mm. a ton of, like, there, you know, plastic surgery addiction wasn't a thing. And then the whole uh, competition between, like, Dr. Knife versus Dr. Acid. Yeah. I don't know if you caught that, but, like, how she her friend kept going to the doctor that used like acid to chemically peel her skin and that's how uh, she ended up oh i didn't pick that up in that yeah yeah, yeah that's her, like face was falling off just falling and then off. she died i know and her funeral and her body's just like guts yeah it's so good but uh 
That reminds me, do you think that he had sex with his mother in this movie? Oh, Here's my theory. God, I hope so. Here's my theory. I think that Jill dies in the explosion, and then he goes back to his house and leaves Jill there. He leaves. He comes back. She's wearing a wig to look like his mother. And he's, she's wearing a wig to look like his fantasy, too. And to look like his fantasy. So we've got some Oedipal stuff going on here. But that whole scene seems so surreal and out of place. And when, he, when they have the, the love scene where all of Sam's dreams come true, the whole time I'm like, this isn't real. I don't, this doesn't fit the world. I don't buy it. And then in his next fantasy, when he's being tortured and he sees his mother and she turns around and it's Jill's face, I really feel like as his mother is getting younger and younger, uh, when he went home, he had this weird moment where he saw his fantasy in his mother and I think he fucked his mom. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Like, that's not... I I know that that's not something that Terry Gilliam would, like, shy away from because he yeah. definitely touches on very weird stuff. Again, watch Tidelands. You get a much better understanding of, like, yeah, nothing's off limits to this guy. But I was thinking about that because that would make sense because she's wearing his mother's clothes. They have sex in his mother's bed. He has no qualms about that, which is very weird to me. Yeah. But there's other Oedipal stuff, and I was trying to figure out a way to say this, but, like, so... In the movie, Lowry's mom, you know, keeps trying to get him the raise. Like, that's a huge thing is that she kept pulling strings for him. And I was thinking in this, I don't know if there's, I I might be grasping at straws here, but I was thinking about the fact that, like, Oedipus, the original story of Oedipus was, you know, Oedipus gets separated from his parents at birth or whatever, grows up, comes back to the kingdom, and kills the king so that he can sleep with the queen. Yeah. So basically in this kind of weird roundabout way, his mother, the queen is giving him power. Does that sort of make sense? But yeah. he doesn't realize it's his mother at, cause he want he wants the power of being the king. I don't know. I, I felt like there was a connection there just in terms of like a really deep, I a real deep reach Oedipus connection not just to an edible complex but to actually but the, the story. story of Oedipus no, I agree. where yeah. she's in a high ranking position yeah and she's kind of bringing him up but there's like a disconnect in information there i don't know i might yeah. just be no i agree because the what's the guy's name that's in charge in the wheelchair uh helpman helpman which i'm so happy his name was helpman i know helpman and kurtzman were kurtzman. both fun yeah. the 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 two big government officials both with their man Man names, names. Yeah. Um, so Helpman has been having an affair with his mom, which yeah. is barely touched on. Just when he goes into Helpman's office and sees a picture of his mom on the desk, that's the, yeah. the kind of giveaway. And he does not really care about that. I mean, he, he kind of sees the picture and then it's like, well, that's yeah, all we need to say on that. And and that to me was further proof that there was some sort of like Oedipal thing going on and that maybe he had just fucked his mom. That would make sense. I don't is it weird that I'm like, yeah, he probably did. And then I'm just okay with it. I'm just like, well, yeah. I mean, it speaks a lot to your personality. <laughs> Sometimes parents are just hot. All right? uh, and also earlier in the movie, whenever she gets her surgery, she just wants Sam to tell her that she looks good. Yeah. She, his mom is super sexualized. Like there's yeah. weird. Uh, I really liked Jack's daughter, how Jack's daughter is like in the room 
as he's cleaning up after the surgery and he keeps calling her by the wrong name. And then when he puts <laughs> the other suit on and Jack leaves, uh, or when Sam puts the other suit on and Jack leaves, uh, Jack's daughter asks to see his penis. And you're just like, <laughs> what world do we live in? That- oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah, moment. so there's this weird, like, you live in a world where you can be sexual. I mean, oh yeah, there's that part where he he's at like the the fancy dinner not the not the sit down dinner that gets bombed, but like the yeah. fancy cocktail sort of dinner, and it's like one of his first times seeing his mom post surgery, and he's talking to the surgeon, and the surgeon's like, "Well, we have a lot more work to do," and and Sam's like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, I mean, she her yeah, her face looks good, but you've seen her without clothes on. Her tits and ass are terrible." Yeah, and I remember Lowry being super uncomfortable, and her being like, "Oh my god, stop!" But the the line of "You've seen her, you've seen her naked," like it was very like. Huh, if we're going to go with the whole edible complex, the the whole motherfucker theory that makes I'm a sense. motherfucker, you're a motherfucker, <laughs> we should fuck each other's mothers, fuck each other's moms. Flight of the Concords? Uh Justin Timberlake and Andy Samberg. There we go. Uh, I don't know. Pop yeah, I mean the more I think about it, the more I I feel like Jill died halfway through the movie and everything with Jill in the latter half is his mom. Ugh. Either his mom or just like a construct of his imagination. Yeah, I mean, maybe he didn't like bang his mom. He did not thrash gash with his mom. But the only scene that felt to me like it wasn't actually Jill was the love scene. Because the love scene was so over the top. It was. The whole like bow wrapped it. Like she had like, you know, when she woke up and she had the bow wrapped around her breasts. And like this is the same Jill that like pushed him out of a fucking moving vehicle. Like Jill was very empowered. She and was. for her to be like, my body is a gift to you is a complete 180. That's totally his mom. That's totally his mom. Whether in theory or practice, we don't know. I'm going to yeah. go maybe with in theory because I don't know if he actually like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking that when I saw it the first time. Well, first of all, I thought when he walked into the bedroom and the woman turned around, I thought it was his mom for a second. And that's what put this into my head. And I felt like that was intentional just because it's a movie where everything's intentional. Yeah. And because her hair was so different and why else would she have that wig on? Right. Other than to make you think that that's his mom for a second. Right. Uh, or or to play into his fantasy. But if it's she an edible know- complex, then his fantasy is his mother. Yeah. And she didn't know that she had long hair in his fantasy. And right. then there's a part where she looks through the curtains and she's like, who is that? Who's there? Like. It's the same dude who was just in the house with yeah. you 30 seconds ago. Something's not real in that scene, for yeah. sure. And I felt like his mom was de-aging the whole movie to become Jill uh, towards the end. Yeah. Which, you know, was kind of solidified with his weird vision that his mom and Jill were the same person at the funeral when he's going batshit crazy. I wonder if we could throw some Freud in there and talk about the fact that, like, the creatures that he was afraid of were baby-faced and yeah. something about the... Because there's all the the stages of development when you're a child, like the oral stage and the anal stage. Do you know anything about that at all? No. I feel like I never got out of the anal stage. <laughs> That's just it. Some people stay stuck in certain... There's there's like the... Oh, man. I'm dry. I'm hearkening back to like intro to psych here. But there are... According to Freud, who's been... This is something that pisses me off. Freud has been completely discredited in the psych community, but it, but Freudian interpretations and Freudian analysis of films is hugely popular in film <laughs> studies still. And I'm Freud like, has been discredited? 
yeah, dude. No, no one, no, n- no one wants to fuck their mom, and no one is their peanut. I don't know. It's yeah. Freud has been discredited in the psych field. I don't follow psychology news. Yeah, it's very, it's <laughs> very. Besides very watching can- Frasier over and over, <laughs> that doesn't count. It does not. <laughs> you don't watch it for the psych. You watch it because you're like, I want to be them. I watch it because I love Niles. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, your dog is named Miles. Never mind. Yeah, it's close. I was like, did you just... No, you didn't. But uh, No, he's Miles after Miles O'Brien from uh, Deep Space Nine. And also Miles Davis. <sighs> my sister wanted cool. to name him Miles for Miles Davis, and I agreed to it because of Miles from Deep Space Nine. That's fair. My cat's named Atticus, which, to be fair, he was named Atticus before we found out Atticus Finch was super racist. So I'm <laughs> like, oh, yikes. There's another Atticus... Oh, it's in uh, this fantasy series I was reading. I forgot what it's called. It's a great name. It's a great name. Like when I uh, when I dabbled in suicide girling, I chose my name and I hated it. And you can't cha- cho- uh, change your name once you choose it. And I really, really want to change it to Atticus because I thought Atticus would have been a really cool suicide That'd girl name. Yeah. Or Finch. I thought Finch would have been super cool. Finch. Like Finch, Finch suicide. Like you look like a Finch. Dope. Right? Like yeah. Finch is a name that if I ever have to like use a pen name, my first name will be Finch. That's awesome. Which would be super cool. Yeah. Um, what what name did you end up choosing? Uh, I actually don't really tell people that because I don't really like associate with that. I'm not about that life anymore, man. Yeah. Uh, so I don't really tell people what, what that name is because then you can like look it up and see dirty pictures of me and I don't I don't know I don't want that getting out there so. you realize I will now be hounded by people asking me for this name <laughs> no I have to know embarrassing story about that side note getting away from Brazil uh so I just started a new job at an undisclosed uh location at a building in a in a company that is named after a forest in South America <laughs> and uh and rhymes with damn of fun <laughs> Kind of. Uh, I just <laughs> kind started, of, I tried. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just started a new job there, and they sent out, like, the, the company-wide, or, like, the district-wide, what's the term? The department-wide email of, like, hey, welcome this new person. And my boss found a photo of me to use just based off of my profile pictures on Facebook. And one of my profile pictures on Facebook was from my Suicide Girl <laughs> shoot, uh, but I was clothed, but I did not look like I wanted to be clothed much longer. I, I know had, exactly what picture you're talking about. It's the, with yeah, like yeah. holding the knee. I have, I have fuck me eyes. I have hella fuck me eyes going you on. Do. And I scrolled down and I'm just like, oh, um, I turn bright red. Like I don't get embarrassed easily. I turn bright red. And my roommate who actually got me the job. He's like, he's like, yeah, they sent that out yesterday. I thought that was the picture you chose. And I'm like, <laughs> that hurts my feelings. And I was like, guys, I don't know where they found this picture. And everyone in the office is just like, oh, we thought you chose that. And I was like, no, never. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. So everyone comes in like, this is Annika. Her favorite movie is Cabin in the Woods. Also, she wants to fuck her way to the top. <laughs> Hello. Get in me. It was so embarrassing. It was has, so embarrassing. Has that affected your job? Have you been hit on a lot at work? No. No. No, not at all. I should try harder. <laughs> I don't talk to people that much during the day. Yeah. I get to listen to music at work, so I mostly just listen to music at work. Oh, man. That reminds me. Uh, so I listen to podcasts at work a lot because yeah. obviously I like podcasts. <laughs> and I got swimmer's ear in both ears from Shut having earplugs in my, my ears too long at work. 
Seriously, have you gone to over the ear now? Like I, the, I just got over the ear. Yeah, yeah. that's I, I had the same thing. I had these ones that were like completely soundproof and yeah. I didn't get swimmer's ear, thankfully, but I started getting like bog marsh ear. Like it got yeah. damp and then I got a, a sick pair of uh, headphones yeah. that broke like a day later. So I have, oh, beats, I have beats in the mail because I care about status symbols. <laughs> I have beets in the mail. I have beets in the mail. You just ordered a box full of fresh beets from the farm. <laughs> oh, God. People just, look over and I'm sitting there with a huge rusty knife just slicing beets and eating yeah, them straight from the knife point. That's how you deal with the disappointment of your headphones breaking. <laughs> I got beets in the mail. Yeah, I'll be fine. Oh, God. Do you ever just feel sad and then just eat your weight and root vegetables? <laughs> you I feel say, like Dwight Schrute. Right root right or now. root? I say root. You I say, say root. I say rut. Yeah, it's really irritating. That's another. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, because we got uh, my household recently got inured with that alcoholic root beer that's really popular right now. It's called Not Your Father's Root Beer, and it's like that's a thing. Oh, oh shit! It's I mean it's super sweet, and you can have like one before you're like, mm, that was good. It's like woodchuck uh, hard cider. It's like really really sweet. Oh my god! But it's alcoholic root beer. You cannot taste the alcohol at all. It's so fucking good. Oh, I but love I root could beer so not much. enjoy it exactly because everyone was like, it's root beer, and I'm like, it's root beer, and they're like, you're dumb and wrong, <laughs> and I'm like, no, from the Midwest, it's how we do. I feel like uh, I feel like we can have both. There's room in the world for both. <laughs> yeah, but none of that envelope shit, motherfuckers. It is envelope. We're not messing with that. Envelope. Envelope. I say envelope. Oh, you're disgusting. Get out of here. I was being so <laughs> nice to you about two... saying root. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just two hours of silence on the podcast and me just occasionally being like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> it's like 45 minutes of silence and then really quietly hear me trying to beatbox. Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> I would We're listen to that. Entertained in June. <laughs> Back to Brazil. Let's let's let, let's pause for a second. I gotta pee. Okay. Hi there. I want to talk to you about ducts. Do your ducts seem old-fashioned, out of date? Central Service's new duct designs are now available in hundreds of different colors to suit your individual taste. Hurry now, while stocks last, your nearest central services show. Designer colors to suit your demanding taste. Central Services! So, we just took a break, and we peed, and we fucked in some pig's blood, and we're doing well. <laughs> And boners for everyone. Boners for everyone. That's where we left off. My apartment is bathed in pig's blood. Oh my god, it's so hot. It's you. You don't have to clean this shit up. I am going to lose my security deposit <laughs> based off of what just happened. Oh god, if I had a nickel for every time I made a man lose his security deposit, <laughs> <laughs> we had a very long heart to heart discussion. Uh, not about Brazil. So should that thing be moving? It is. Oh, the right things are moving. The right things are moving. Okay. We are recording. If you see all that, see all that red stuff. Yeah, that's real talk. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That is our real talk. Did yeah. it record our real talk? No. Oh, that'd be fuck so no. Funny. Hell no. <laughs> I should have. Podcast four hours long, and why are there so many angry people being like, really? Yeah, we took a break for peeing and ended up 
with four hours of real talk. Real four hours of real talk. Or twenty minutes that felt like four hours. Oh god, it, it felt so good. It was very cathartic. Um, it was good. It was very good. We're both intrinsically unlovable people, so we're doing well. <laughs> yeah, and here we are talking about a movie. Talking about a movie, or instead we should of, be instead of. Uh, What's really important, which is the fact that it really smells like blood in here, it which is gross. It smells like iron. Oh my god! It's yeah, so, iron overload. It's like it's like if Carrie, if the scene from Carrie and the scene, the elevator scene from The Shining, the Shining yeah, like hate fucked each other. <laughs> that is what your apartment that's what it's like in my apartment like right now. Yeah, and, and then I throw have in some bacon. Never been wetter. What? To, <laughs> I forgot what I was gonna say. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about... I've actually gone through a lot of my notes with Brazil, unfortunately, because I just watched it today. I, like, got really amped about it. Um, but I'm really sleepy now, so I'm losing my words. And I'm yeah. like, yeah! Oh, I haven't done film analysis in such a long time. And I love it. I yeah. love it. And I love this film so much. Like, the first bit of this podcast was our insane excitement just to be talking about Brazil. It was just like a, it was like gushing out of us and I'm sure it was just jumped all over the place. Yeah. And but, then we amped ourselves up and then because we had no narrative, there's no cohesive anything to our discussions. Just like the movie. Oh my This is God. the best Brazil, uh, analysis you could ever have because it made as little sense it as the movie. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> but let's also, go through Jesse's your notes. in his see. weird all black shiny pleather suit right now so it makes just as much sense as the movie and i'm wearing butterfly wings yeah i'm wearing a baby mask we're doing well i read that gilliam chose the the baby masks on those weird like zombie monsters to have the the juxtaposition of old and young on one creature because he thought that would be horrifying interesting it was horrifying i don't think i think I don't think it spoke to the... Well, it would speak to the movie because that was his mom's big issue was the whole yeah. old and young sort of thing. So I guess that dichotomy does make sense. I'm sorry. I keep no, you moving. I keep reclining. I'm actually laying on the floor right now because I'm very <laughs> sleepy and there's just one... Where the body was, there's actually no blood. Don't ask me how that happened. So I'm just laying where the body was because the rest of the house is covered in blood. It's the only non-sticky part that doesn't smell like a slaughterhouse. So we're having fun. You're you're kind of like melting into the couch. I can tell you're getting tired because you're just like <laughs> you're becoming one with the furniture. My posture is so bad right now. Yeah. It's so bad. I'm just slowly just like also you have to keep in mind that my three meals today were ice cream, ice cream, and popcorn. So <laughs> I'm just my whole body is like like I feel like a really happy third grader that's like, oh I feel like the fat Asian kid from up for some reason. That's just my <laughs> spirit animal right now is just like this like adorable fat kid that can make fires in the wilderness but doesn't know how to feel real love because he has absolutely parents wow let's analyze up <laughs> i would love that i love that movie the oh. dog and up reminded me of sam when sam runs in or tells uh jill that he loves her <laughs> hi, hi i love I you, love you. <laughs> uh do you want is, is there anything else in your notes that you wanted to cover um there's some stuff that i talked about uh i need to stop making that sound oh i loved the the scene with the conveyor belt where it's kind of hard to tell what's going on you had to kind of look in the background but it's when sam got taken in and it was a point of view sort of thing. So you're seeing it from his point of view. And there's those guys reading his rights. And it keeps jump cutting from different guy to different guy being like, okay, this is what you're in for. And if you look in the background, you can see it's like just plastic sheeting separating all the other people that have been brought in for interrogation. Yeah. And you oh, can yeah. see them just kind of like, at first, because when dangling. it first, yeah. Yeah, dangling, at first I thought it was just a hanging body. And I thought there was a body hanging with someone just standing in the room. And I was like, that's dope as fuck. Like, that's so dark. And then you see it kind of move a second yeah. before it jumps and you realize 
it's just a conveyor belt where each one of these guys in their separate cubic cub- cubicles have their own like oh the, you know, now i have to read you like az9-238 now i have to yeah. read you az9-232 yeah i say zed because it's a british film no that's big awesome. deal but that's i I love that i loved how that was done that was probably to me the darkest part of the movie was just the conveyor belt it was really really it really hit me and the the bag that they put over people's heads when they cart them (laughs) off has a hook on the top so that they can be put onto this conveyor belt yeah i didn't notice that like the the design of the bag was also very scary the way that it was like drawstring over your head that scene was really interesting i thought at first that it was a reflection i thought that we were seeing a reflection of sam dangling uh which it wasn't. It was a conveyor belt. It was like people behind plastic sheeting, yeah. which I eventually figured out. But I thought it was such a cool way to show the audience that that is what Sam is doing also because the the shot was swaying back and forth a little bit. So you know that Sam himself is hanging yes. in his bag. Which it was good that they did that because at no other point in the film did they do any like first person point of view sort of stuff. So I'm yeah. glad. I also liked how the screaming got louder the closer that he got. Oh, my God. That was very, very well done. The I've never seen a movie that had the juxtaposition of absurdism and really frightening imagery in this way, where a lot of the imagery was really terrifying. I mean, the Jack wearing the baby mask. Uh, oh, right. And Sam screaming at him to take it off. Yeah, uh, that was such a good just the way that he was so like, I don't know. I liked, I, for some reason, I love the moment where he's walking in and you don't know he's wearing the mask yet when Jack is walking in to interrogate yeah. Sam. And the moment where he pauses and turns around, I don't know why he turned around. I, I, I it's it because he, it's because, okay, that moment I knew it was Jack because he hesitated. I'm like, oh my God, it's Jack. It's human. It yeah. humanizes him. And uh, Jack's the only other person that's been humanized. I, lo- I yeah. love that he does that. I don't I know why. Yeah. And he still, it, he doesn't falter at his job. Right. You know, like he, I love that he's embarrassed by Sam because that's how someone in the society is going to react. He's going to be like, fuck sam like why did you do this this is so humiliating to me but it's like that line you brought up like we go back we go way back don't talk to me till till this blows over (laughs) absolutely i really really like that i do like there's that line that uh i i really like that spoke to me a lot today just with the recent the bombings we were talking about the quote-unquote preventable bombing was the when the department store exploded and his mom's friend is like well sam why didn't do anything about the terrorists and his response of well, it's my lunch hour, and also that's not my department. <laughs> I feel like Sam said that slightly tongue in cheek. Like I, I yeah. want to give Sam enough credit that because he was already pissed, he was so he was mad having at his a bad mom. lunch. Yeah. yeah, he was very mad at his mom, and he kind of said that in kind of a. I think he was sort of making fun of bureaucracy there in the capacity that Sam could, because later on with the the department store bombing, he shows that he cares because he's trying to help these these hurt people. Um, so I think he does care. I think he said that tongue in cheek, but that was such a good response because that's such an accurate response. Like there's people bleeding all around them and that is how a bureaucracy would respond. It's like, well, it's not, you know, there's someone else. Cause that's a recurring right. theme is it's not my department. It's not my problem. It's not my department. It's all about which department you're in. Oh man. It really, it really hit home with me because I work like my day job four days a week is in an apartment building where I work in a bureaucracy and it's with great people and we do we try to do a really good job you know but because of that i also see this this corporate structure from the inside and why it needs to be in place and how it works and how it should work so for the first half of the movie i was having these thoughts like well i could see i mean obviously they're they're misusing this system but i could see why they set this up 
Oh, yeah. Uh, and then towards the latter half, I realized that those types of thoughts are what allows totalitarian governments yeah, to right? take over the world. It's, t- it's incremental. It's just yeah, a like incremental. I Good see word. where you're coming from. All right. Yeah. I get it. All right. And then suddenly you ducks everywhere. You have these tiny little screens with these huge, uh, huge, huge magnifying, magnifying glass. Yeah. Yeah. One. Here's a little fun fact about the film. Um, so the the goons from Central Services. Oh. Did you notice they had crazy long crazy brims? Long. Yeah, I loved that. Their yeah. hats were so great. The reason why the brims on their baseball caps are really long purely is just because Terry Gilliam fucking hates baseball caps. He hates them. He hates <laughs> baseball caps. He thinks they look stupid. So the only reason why they had long brims is because he's like, fuck them. So he just made them with like obnoxiously <laughs> long brims. Which is, and I, I like, I feel like he kind of did that. He did that a little bit. I think... In this film, he made things huge that he thought was stupid. So, like, the menus, I don't know if you noticed the menus in the diner scene, but they're massive. (laughs) They're, like, two feet across. They're three feet long. They're very thick. And granted, they're, like, screens or whatever. But I just, I like the idea of him. He's the type of person that would notice the fact that you go to these fancy restaurants and they have huge menus with, like, three things on them. Right. Three things on them. So I think I could see Terry Gilliam being like, let's make these massive because they're dumb. Have you seen Meaning of Life, the Monty Python movie? Years ago. Uh, If I'm remembering this correctly, Meaning of the Life, I I get Life of Brian and Meaning of Life mixed up. I do too, yeah. But I'm pretty sure Meaning of Life is the one where in the beginning you have all these businessmen that are like jumping ship out of like a a ship in the sky. Something something along those lines. And then... Later on, there's a man who's in like a prosthetic suit who's incredibly large and he eats too much and explodes. Yeah, the Thin Mint, dude. Yeah. yeah. So both of those things reminded me so much of Brazil, just the tone. And also a lot of uh, Holy Grail reminded me a lot of the tone of Brazil. It's absurd, but it's gross. It's the absurd right. grotesque. Gross, like abs- just, yeah, 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 that's it. That's totally it. That's what it is. Where and that's like, like what, what I, the fuck is going on? Yeah. That's what I really associate with Terry Gilliam after this experience of watching Brazil. And having seen a bunch of Monty Python and having a Monty Python actor in the movie heightened the experience to me so much because yeah. I associate this world that I'm used to seeing with comedy. And I associate it with a lightness and with a funness. And then to be in that world that I associate with being light and fun and all of a sudden have these like torture doctors and baby masks and men in bags hanging from the ceiling. But then you go back to Monty Python and you go, I see which ones Terry Gilliam did. You see his hand in there. For sure. It makes it so much more upsetting and so much more real uh, just seeing it in the context of his other work. And he is fucking brilliant. I mean, I have always liked everything I saw of his, but this one... I felt like I finally got his point of view because it's so clear. Of course, yeah. And as an artist, to make your point of view clear is one of the hardest things in the world. That's why you really, I really strongly suggest you watch Tideland then because it's going to, it makes, Brazil had a message, Tideland or Tidelands, I don't remember if it's singular or plural, didn't. It made, you don't know why he made that movie. And it's so I think it would really that's why it it by watching that film, it actually affected how I feel about Brazil or how I analyze Brazil, because I'm like, you made this this very poignant film, not a lot of fat on it, just talking about how you disdain bureaucratical bullshit. And then you made Tidelands, which made no (laughs) sense 
at all. It makes no sense. And it's 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 not I mean, it's not like it makes no sense, like in a racer head way where you're like, what the fuck? It's just it's still it's a, it's a Gilliam film. There's so there's still definitely a narrative. There's still definitely a story arc. But there's things where you're like, why did you put that in the movie? Wow. Why? 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 What? You could have not. What's going on? <laughs> you could have not. And you chose to do. You chose to. And it didn't. It didn't, it wasn't a plot device. It wasn't character development. Why are you flouting the maxims of screenwriting and doing it so well? I'm confused. Wow. So I would suggest watching that one next. I really want to go through and watch all of his stuff. I really want to see Time Bandits. Right? It sounds so dope. It sounds awesome. And I read that uh, Time Bandits, Brazil, and the next one I think was Baron Munchausen are his trilogy of age where it's like young people, middle-aged people, and then old yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll kind of look through thing. it like a sci-fi sort of thing. <laughs> Congrats. We both read Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, that's what we read. The same thing was Wikipedia. Now you point that out. That is what I read. <laughs> that's I, basically how we made it through our last podcast. Right. It was just Wikipedia. I mean, I feel like anything, anytime you look up anything now, you start with Wikipedia. Yeah. And then you move on from there. Yeah. You, you go to the sources that they use and you, yeah. you that's how I wrote most of my papers in college is you go to yeah. Wikipedia first find the sources you copy and paste from wikipedia and then you use its sources and pretend that you <laughs> used that originally oh shit ah oh, fuck i did college wrong yeah it's so like i'm because i was linguistic so i know how to spin words shit so this is making me sound nefarious yeah you just go to wikipedia you rewrite what they have written there you find its source because no teacher's gonna go in and be like Oh, she said she found this on pages 18 to 38 of this very ancient tome that I can't find online. Right. I'm going to go try to find... Like, no, fuck that. They're lazy, too. I mean, this this is weird to think about, but when I was in college, they told us when we were writing papers, you're not allowed to use Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. And I raised my hand and said, what is Wikipedia? Because <laughs> I, I'd never heard... It. it had just come out when I was yeah, in college. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it never even occurred to me to use... I The first time I went to it, it was with the the mistaken assumption that it was a bunch of bullshit because that's what I was told in school from my oh, professors. No. professors. 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 We're both getting tired. Yeah, we're both getting tired. Uh, this will not last much longer. That's what she said. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great time to end the podcast? Just, God, we're both... <sighs> it's not going to... Click. <laughs> <laughs> Don't end it here. Okay. <laughs> I was seriously considering it. Uh, but It would just leave... You know, it's the same way that they used to have jukeboxes do like the the fade out because it subconsciously makes you want to listen to the same song over again. Yeah. If we just kind of talked and then just slowly faded. I wonder if we could get quieter and quieter to the point where there would be nothing. We can start singing Brazil. And then, and then get quieter and quieter. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot sing it on this time. I don't know the words. Yeah, we should probably wrap it up. If we're at the point of being like... I was trying. I was trying to sing us out, and then you started talking again. Oh, God damn. I didn't realize that was going on. What if I... I don't... Okay, if you can sing it out, I was going to try to find it, but I can't find the song anywhere. I tried downloading the song years ago when we analyzed this in in my film. Oh, I will find it, and I will put it on this podcast at the end. Oh, please do. Can you just have it play over us? Because it does that in the film a few times where it plays like obnoxiously loud. What you could have it do is just kind of come in over this inane chatter that we're doing right now and then just have it get super loud and that'll end it. Cool. You want to do that? 
I, I, by the time people hear this, I will have done that. You will have. Yeah. I haven't plugged any of my upcoming shows though. Well, you got to do it loud because I'll be playing Brazil over okay. this. Okay. So Brazil is currently playing loudly right now, but in the interim, you should go check out Annika at her next show. She has CPR training on Friday. She really needs to learn how to separate. Louder. Her. Okay. The next show she has is October 15th at the Acme Tavern in Tacoma. It's going to be with Sam Miller. It's going to be with Alfred Kacheri. It's going to be dope. She's going to be hosting before then, but come out to that show. And have a good night. I love you. There you have it, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Special thank you to Annika Sila for joining me on this show. I wanted to share with you a couple really exciting things that are coming up on the next few episodes. Next week is the great crossover with Turn Up the Lady Bro. Heather Bartels and Katie Tippy will be joining me for a lot of talk about a lot of stuff, including Ridley Scott's Alien, some dating, what makes us uncomfortable in our daily lives, uh, sex, all sorts of fun things. The week after that... I am so incredibly excited to announce that I will have some of the cast and crew of the upcoming sci-fi feature film, Fifth Passenger. The Fifth Passenger is an indie sci-fi flick that was funded through Kickstarter and features many of my favorite actors and actresses from Star Trek. Man, this music is loud. Ah, it's very distracting. Anyway. Oh, that's a lot better. All right. So, right now, The Fifth Passenger is running an Indiegogo campaign to fund their visual effects. There's some great stuff at fifthpassenger.com if you want to check out the project. I've donated. I'm really excited about this movie. It looks super cool. And I'm even more excited to sit down with four of the cast and crew to talk about the film. So, in two weeks on the show, I'll have Scott Baker, who is the director and one of the co-writers, actress Morgan Lariah, who's also a co-writer, Actor Manu Ente Reime, who you'll recognize from Star Trek Voyager, he played Icheb, and he also reprised that role in the fan-made Star Trek film Renegades, which I just watched and was super cool. Also, we'll have actress Hana Hatai, who you'll remember as Molly O'Brien from Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. She was the young child of Miles O'Brien and Keiko O'Brien. She grew up on Star Trek. Kind of like me, I grew up on Star Trek, except she was actually there and I was living in a fantasy world. I'm beyond excited to talk to these people about their incredible project, The Fifth Passenger. Check out the trailer for The Fifth Passenger online. It'll get you really excited about the movie. So next Monday, I will be on Turn Up the Lady Bro as part of our crossover event. So be sure to check out Turn Up the Lady Bro at turnuptheladybro.com. You can follow them on Twitter. Twitter? What is Twitter? I don't know. Twitter. Follow them on Twitter at Turn Up Lady Bro. Also subscribe to their podcast. I've listened to every episode. I'm a huge fan. The week after that, Fifth Passenger. A whole new level of excitement for me. I, I don't even know how I'm going to handle myself. So stick around. Great stuff coming up. Here's a little more music from Brazil. Thank you so much. What a great episode. I love everybody. The world is great. I'll see you next week.
God damn it, I'm never going to get that song out of my head.